0: Hello, and welcome to the Hogan Cast, a weekly podcast where we discuss a variety of subjects. Each week, we talk about a different topic, from literature to travel and everything in between. Our episodes strive to be both conversational and informational, and our occasional interviews are hopefully entertaining. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the sixth episode of the Hogan Cast. I apologize for the delay. We were expecting to have this episode up last week, but we had some um, issues that made that impossible. This week, we'll be sitting down with Miss Huyen Nguyen who is, as you know, sometimes my co-host, and we'll be interviewing her about her uh, career in green energy, how she got there, what she sees for the future of green energy, what she's excited about, what she's concerned about. So without any further ado, let's just get into the interview. Hello, Ms. Nguyen, thank you for joining us.
1: Great to be here, Scott. Has been here for a while, as I was busy doing something else, but uh, happy to be back and uh, talking to you guys all.
0: Okay, we're gonna ask you a few questions just about your career in green energy and green energy in general. So let's just kick it off. Uh, You are originally from Vietnam. So how did you end up working for a company based in Thailand?
1: Well, it's basically a long life story, but I will will try to make it short. I always, when I were, was younger, growing up, always want to travel to see how people outside Vietnam conducting their lives, see different culture, different places. However, this is a very expensive lifestyle and I have to pay for transportation, lodging and food and all sort of uh, expenses. So I figure if I can pick a job living in another country is a good idea I believe it's a smart idea to be able to fund for myself to do things that I like to do so that's how I ended up looking for a job abroad and uh, I landed uh, a job in Thailand so I guess that's uh, the purpose of doing two things one is being able to fund for the thing that I like to do uh, living in another country living with uh, other people other than Vietnamese and second thing is uh, having a job that can fund for that.
0: So you recently located to the United States. Why is that?
1: So after a while, uh, living in different country, my husband and I decided to move back to the States and to be closer to his family. And um, I think that's a good idea. I never been to the, well, I came here to visit his family a couple of times, but uh, I never, I haven't never really lived here. So I think, well, a good chance for me to expose myself to American culture. So that's how we end up here in Martinsburg.
0: Awesome. Could you tell me a little bit about your role as consulting manager for Asia Clean Energy Partners?
1: So as a consulting manager for Asia Clean Energy Partners, my job is to look for new opportunities in the region and uh, engage with uh, the uh, manager to decide whether we can pursue those opportunities. And one of my uh, priorities is working with the UNEDO program called Private Financing Advisory Network, which provide coaching, free service coaching and investment facilitation for clean energy and climate projects in Asia.
0: So you mentioned UNEDO. Is that the United Nations Environmental Development Organization? Is that what that stands for?
1: Uh, sorry for uh, being so brief. Uh, well, I always assume that people know all the acronyms. So UNIDO you, you means United Nations for Industrial Development Organization.
0: And how long have you worked at Asia Clean Energy Partners?
1: So this is my third year at Asia Clean Energy Partners, or we we in short we call it H- Age partners. So I started in late uh, 2019, uh, when I was in Japan, basically joining my husband, uh, living in a small town in northern part of the, uh, of uh, Japan. And I was uh, not working at that time. I saw the advert from the company who founded by the person I know. So I think, wow, it's a perfect fit for me. So I apply for that.
0: So you knew at least one person at the company before you uh, actually got the job? Was that beneficial
1: so the company were filed by two partners and one of the partners I know him since the time I was in Bangkok well it's, it's nice to be able to to have some sort of connection but it was not the main idea how I was hired and I have to go through the interview like um, the rest of the other applicants and uh, I learned later when I joined the company that both co-founders they told me that They were very impressed with my performance and my experience. So that's how I was chosen among 80 applicants.
0: Did you study clean energy or environmental policy or anything like that at university?
1: No, I have no clue about clean energy or anything like that at the university. Early in my career, I started as working to support the poor communities in Vietnam. And then I, given my experience, I was able to obtain a scholarship from Australian government to pursue my master degree in Australia but my main focus at that time was uh, community development because that's where I my experience is and also I was so passionate about support marginalized less developed communities how to help poor communities to achieve the lifestyle that they desire so that's how where that's where my passion is so clean energy is was not on my radar earlier in my career at all.
0: So what exactly did you study at university? What was your undergraduate?
1: My undergraduate was uh, sociology. Back in the day when you were young, at, um, at 17, at 18, you have no clue what you you like to do in your life. And I just picked a major to, to go with because back uh, in the day in Vietnam, the only choice to get out of the poverty, to be able to do something in your life is to, to go to college. Everybody in Vietnam every young uh, people in Vietnam go to college being failed to go uh, to get to college is almost like disaster in your life and and it's almost brings shame to the whole family so I should pick a measure that I'm comfortable with so I went with that I end up really like it uh, we have a very good the head of the sociology department he inspires a lot he is able to speak like five different languages and he always talk about uh, how being able to speak good English would help you to uh, understand a lot of value from sociology. So that's how I end up spending a lot of time trying to speak English and to perfect my English abilities.
0: And your graduate you said was community development in Australia? Is that what you studied when you went to Australia?
1: Yes, so like I said earlier, that uh, after I graduated, joy a project funded by the Australian government to support the poor communities in my hometown, and uh, I worked with them for five years and fell in love with that. I felt my, uh, I found my purpose, and uh, I think that's what I like to do for the rest of my life to so sort of, to work with the poor community, being close to them, work with them, uh, give them the support
0: that they need. You didn't study green energy and you were in love with community development how did you end up being involved in renewable energy?
1: Yeah, it sounds like there's a no connection. And I never have imagined my life that would end up working in the power sector, which is something very alien to me. But I guess it started from the main purpose, the the interest that I always like to do. For instance, like I like to travel a lot. I like to see people. So I got a job in Thailand uh, working with the intergovernmental organization in the northern part of Thailand and also at that time I worked to support the small size enterprises in, in countries in the Mekong region I went from working for with communities to working with small size enterprises and then uh, later on my husband and I decided to move to Bangkok I ended up working for the University of the Thai Chamber of Commerce supporting corporations and education exchange between Latin America and Southeast Asia. And then one day I got uh, an email from Deloitte, who at that time was a prime contractor for the U.S.-funded government. U.S. funded project to support clean energy uh, projects uh, in Asia to get funding to fund for their projects. And that's how I ended up working for in um, green energy.
0: Now, you've been working remotely in the U.S. since the start of the COVID pandemic. How has that affected your ability to do your job?
1: At first, it was nice. But then it's increasingly challenging for me because um, now I'm in the U.S. and all my work is in Asia. So I have to uh, adjust my t- myself because of the different time zones. I work in the day and I also have to take a call and work with my colleague in Asia. Uh, when they get up, so I feel like I'm an owl, and work, uh, because I work most of the evening, at least uh, four or five times uh, a week, and I feel I I feel extremely tired, and at some point I almost uh, I feel like I almost give up. But my my company, the the co-founders, they are very very flexible, and they're v- very supportive. They try to have some sort of um, what they call no-fly zone. So I don't have to work or have any calls with clients between 11 to 8 a.m. in the, the next morning. So I will have t- uh, sufficient time to rest properly and to start my day fresh. So I really appreciate that. I think I, I look forward to be able to meet people in person again, to, to do business in person again. I feel like I said earlier, a uh, Part of that, uh, part of the challenge is I I feel I feel very very tired, but also I feel lonely because um, I I am by myself most of the time. I feel like I look at the wall when like eight hours um, by myself, so I feel very lonely and anxious and agitated. But this kind of experience also teach me to to be patient, learn to accept the situation, and and also I have. I have recently learned uh, to do meditation as well and it's helped a lot and it calms me and make me relax a lot.
0: How would you compare renewable energy initiatives in the United States to those that you've seen in Southeast Asia?
1: Obviously not only in the renewable energy sector, but of other sectors of the economy, the United States is well advanced compa- as compared to uh, other countries in Southeast Asia. So most of the time, we we have uh, experts coming from the United States bringing their experience and best practices and uh, expertise to help countries in uh, Southeast Asia to de- develop both uh, in terms of the policy but also support the, the government to stimulate the private sector and formulate a good policy to promote clean energy in Southeast Asia.
0: So which region do you think has taken the threat of climate change more seriously?
1: I would say uh, at this point, almost every, everybody in the world uh, is aware of the danger of not uh, of not taking uh, climate change as a threat seriously. And um, I believe that um, everyone is more cautious about uh, the way we are conducting our life. the way we uh, operate the the economy is uh, uh, causing a lot of damage, both to the environment and also to the public health. Um, but, um, you will see that, um, because the, the way as like every, every other thing in the world, it has become the habit and now you have to change something and, um, it taking time to change the habit. And you will see, for instance, like in the United States, you will see, um, there's a lot of, there's a, a more aggressive actions from both the governments and also uh, from the private sector in terms of promoting clean energy as compared to other countries, less developed countries in Southeast Asia.
0: So are there any shortcomings in either region that you would like to see corrected?
1: So as I said earlier that uh, the way we conduct our life and the, the economy has been um, so attached to burning fossil fuels that we need to change. And it takes a lot of political will to be able to do that. So I'd like to see in the coming years would like to see it happen quicker in that um, the government would be more willing to stay away from or or cut off the subsidy to the to fossil fuel and move the investments into uh, clean energy.
0: So we talked about the shortcomings, but what are some of the most impressive green energy initiatives that you've seen in, in the US or Southeast Asia or any of the regions that you've been?
1: I see that most countries are having a different kind of initiative to support the movement of towards the net zero emissions and uh, decarbonization. So uh, in the United States, for instance, right now, I see that uh, the Department of Energy has a loan program to uh, support, particularly enterprise and companies that have uh, innovation in clean energy technology, for example, in battery storage. And uh, or back in Asia, last year, the the Asia Development Bank supported the government of Cambodia to uh, build the solar power plant uh, with the lowest power tariff of around 38.77 cents per kilowatt hour, which is considered the lowest power tariff in Southeast Asia.
0: Just a few months ago, the United Nations Climate Change Conference COP26, was held in Glasgow. What are some of the things that excited you during the conference?
1: That was the conference that everybody was looking at. And uh, we were, myself, both myself and my colleagues was expect something big going to happen because uh, obviously... we we don't have uh, enough time to be able to keep the uh, the earth temperature uh, one po- uh, to, to within one point five uh, degrees Celsius. So one of the thing I um, I was a little bit surprised was uh, uh, it was a time that the prime minister the Vietnamese prime minister announced uh, that the country will try to achieve net zero by 2050. The reason the reason was that because driving before he went to COP26 the the government released the draft of the power plant development no, number 8 which they intended to add more coal into the the national energy mix so yeah that's a that's a, for me that was a, a big surprise uh, which showed that uh, the Vietnamese government is definitely committed to the net zero and um I hope that after he come back from the COP twenty six, he would make a big change in the revised in the revised version of the uh, national power development plan number eight.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned coal there with Vietnam. I know that you're a big proponent of the phase out coal initiative. But after living here in West Virginia, has your opinion changed at all?
1: Well, I have a tiny correction from your question. Actually, at the COP26, even though uh, everyone tried to convince the parties who joined the conference that we need to phase out coal. But then on the last day of the uh, the conference, uh, the Indian came up and joined with some other country to agree that we will phase down, not phase out out because developing countries need more time to be able to uh, develop their economy and uh, to have enough finance to be able to uh, close down all the coal power plant that they have in the pipeline. So, no, living in West Virginia doesn't alter my opinion, actually it's uh, enforce my determination to support people here in West Virginia to be able to get out of the, the industry and and um, to be able to get to a different way of generating income rather than just relying on coal because to me burning fossil fuels is no longer justifiable uh, as they are extremely dangerous for the environment and the public health and for me yeah it's so very difficult to be able to transition to another uh, industry or another sector but i believe that if like you always say where there's a the will that away
0: what excites you the most about the future of renewable energy
1: I, I like to be able to live in the place that I can breathe the fresh air drink clean water so um, that renewable energies can give me the possibility to reach that goal
0: and what concerns you the most about the future of renewable energy
1: so uh, what you hear right now that uh, everywhere you would say you would hear people say oh renewable energy, clean energy. What I am concerned the most is it might lead to greenwashing and uh, it also lead to overconsumption. So l- let me explain a little bit what I mean by that. For example, right now a lot of energy companies have claimed that uh, natural gas is a clean energy source. Because the power plant emit less ca- carbon dioxide than coal plants. However, a natural natural gas plants can um, emit large amount of methane, a potent greenhouse gas with a warming potential more than 85 times of carbon dioxide. The second point I like to make is the way we overconsume everything in life. For for example, that uh, right now everybody talking about electric vehicles and. Uh, they want to switch to ev in order to reduce their carbon footprint but we have to be very careful about that because let's say every household in america get uh, three electric vehicles which is a uh, very good but then to, to be able to produce an ev is uh, co- require a lot of resource for example To produce uh, an EV, it costs up to 60% more of electricity to be able to produce one car, and uh, for uh, on top of that, uh, produce battery for EV it need uh, lithium, and mining lithium is has a lot of human rights and environmental costs associated with that. And mining lithium also uh, produce a lot of carbon dioxide. For instance, to get one ton of lithium, it produce uh, from five to fifteen tons of carbon dioxide. So again, we have to be very careful the way how we frame and how we produce a renewable energy.
0: As a woman, do you feel there is a strong enough female presence in the renewable energy sector right now?
1: This is a very interesting question. I would say it's depend on the sectors and also it's depend on uh, the different country. For instance, like here in America, I see um, there are more women joining the renewable energy sector. But uh, in Vietnam, for instance, not just the renewable energy but power sector in general, uh, I don't see a lot of female joining the sector. And culturally, a lot of families don't like their daughter go into the power sector as they consider as a a difficult sector for female.
0: So Huyen, do you have any advice for people wishing to reduce their carbon footprint?
1: I would say start from small thing. I would say uh, just conduct your uh, personal audit to see things uh, around you that um, you might think that you can switch to more environmentally friendly. For instance, for me, like switch from using single water bottle into uh, buying bottle and uh, and carry your water everywhere other than uh, buying a single water bottle if, if you can or, or clean your, your house using cloth rather than using paper towels, or uh, wh- where you can um try to use uh, public transit rather than personal vehicle. So we should start with first with using less, reduce, and then um, the next step would be reuse and the last step would be recycle. All
0: right. Well, I think that's all the questions I have. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Do you have any closing remarks you'd like to make?
1: I hope that what I shared here would uh, inspire you to start doing um, something to reduce your carbon footprint and uh, do something to leave less damage to the environment
0: all right thank you again and we hope to talk to you again soon bye-bye